Hello, hello. Episode 9. That's like one away from 10. So I'm told. Don't know if you know. Crazy times. So I suppose that calls for a crazy case, right? Well, my friends, I have you sorted. Before we get into that, I just wanted to do some little housekeeping. I will be breaking for Christmas after this episode as I am off home to see family and it's frowned upon to spend the whole time in my room doing podcasts, apparently. Now, I legit don't think I would be able to get an hour or so quiet enough, what with nephews, dogs and the family, so I thought I'd just take a little recess. I'm also working on my next film script, so it might be nice to just have some time dedicated to that rather than juggling all of my hobbies and my job. I should be back with a big old bit of pod on 10th of January, but be sure to follow me on socials for updates at John Doe and Co Pod. With that out of the way, where are we off to today? To the land of Sean Connery and Billy Connolly, the Canada to England's America, the country where yeeting a log as far as you can is a national sport, the beautiful land of Scotland. The place is full of rich history and has a surprising amount of reported cryptids. What are cryptids, I hear you ask? A cryptid is essentially a creature of myth that may or may not exist with reported sightings and studies to prove and dispel their existence. Think of Bigfoot, the Mothman, you know, Donny Osmond, that sort of thing. Of course, when we say cryptid in Scotland, we immediately think of the Loch Ness Monster. The most famed example she could certainly make for a good episode. However, I wanted to dig a bit further. Upon my excavating, I came across Amphiliath Moor, which is Scottish Gaelic for the Big Grey Man. This big grey fella is supposedly a presence or haunting that roams the summit and passes of Ben McDewey. This is the highest point of the Cairngorms and the second highest peak in the UK after Ben Nevis. Third if you count Rick Astley's quiff. There's been quite a few reported encounters with the being, but only a couple have actually seen the dude. A lot of the time, it's a feeling of the presence or tracks in the snow or footsteps. Only a lucky few have clapped eyes on the long boy. It is reportedly very thin, over 10 feet tall, with dark hair and dark skin, long arms and broad shoulders. So who exactly has goggled the grey man? Perhaps the most notable account is provided by Professor J. Norman Colley in 1925. A respected scientist and scholar, Professor Normie was appointed Professor of Organic Chemistry at University College London in 1896, as well as being a member of the Royal Geographical Society. Among his notable accolades, he is responsible for the first ever X-ray photograph, as well as a bunch of quite impressive climbing feats. He pioneered many climbs on the Isle of Skye and the Alps, as well as being part of the first ever attempt to get to the peak of Nangaparbat in the Himalayas, an 8,000 metre climb. Long, mate. The stairs in Covent Garden nearly ended me. The bloke even has two geographical namesakes in the form of Mount Collie in Canada and Norman's Peak in Skye. All of this to basically say he's a serious guy, well respected, and maybe his word should be taken seriously. He recounted his experience of climbing at the summit of Ben McDewey in 1891. He said, I was returning from the cairn on the summit in a mist when I began to think I heard something else than merely the noise of my own footsteps. 
Every few steps I took, I heard a crunch, and then another crunch, as if someone was walking after me, but taking steps three or four times the length of my own. I said to myself, this is all nonsense. I listened and heard it again, but could see nothing in the mist. As I walked on and the eerie crunch, crunch sounded behind me, I was seized with terror and took to my heels, staggering blindly among the boulders for four or five miles, nearly down to Rothy Murch's forest. Whatever you make of it, I do not know, but there is something very queer about the top of Ben McDewey, and I will not go back there again. Some choice language there, but you know, it was 1925. When he spoke about this at a conference, it caused a bit of a frenzy. The local media reported it, and a debate ensued between believers and sceptics. With this, other climbers came forward to recount their experiences with the being. They had previously been afraid of coming to the public with their stories for fear of ridicule, but with Collie's account, the big grey spectral cat was out of the bag. In 1904, Hugh Welsh and his brother also had an experience near the summit of Ben McDewey. They had set up camp to collect plants and study arachnids because, obviously, life in 1904 was basically Animal Crossing. During the course of their stay, they were very conscious of lumbering footsteps around them. It sounded like large feet impacting the soft snow and it did not match their own footsteps. The brothers were, quote, very conscious of something near them. Flash forward to 1941 and Wendy Wood was also frolicking about near the summit. She reported a strange voice that carried on the wind, speaking to her in Gaelic. She said it had a gigantic resonance, and upon investigation, no source could be found. When she was making her way back, she heard the same footsteps the Welsh brothers heard, once again sure it was not her own. In the early 1920s, former president of Moray Mountaineering Club, Tom Crowley, became one of the lucky ones to actually see the grey man. He was also hearing the footsteps on one of his tracks and, looking round to see who it was, he saw a tall grey figure which he said had pointed ears, long legs and finger-like talons. Alexander Kellis was another scientist who, with his brother, spotted a giant figure supposedly climb to the summit, circle the ten-foot cairn before sloping back down to the lower parts of the range. They claimed the figure was at least as tall as those ten-foot cairns. Alistair Borthwick's 1939 book about climbing in Scotland, Always a Little Further, relates the accounts of two climbers he knew who saw the big grey man. I promised myself I wouldn't mimic a Scottish accent, even though it's super fun, and I'm really good at it. I promised I wouldn't do it. I don't want to intimidate actual Scottish people and give them an identity crisis. In the book, Alistair recalls the interviews. I felt a queer crinkly feeling in the back of my neck, he told me, but I said to myself, this is silly, there must be a reason for it. So I stopped, and the footsteps stopped. I sat down and tried to reason it out. I could see nothing. There was a moon about somewhere, but the mist was fairly thick. The only thing I could make out of it was that when my boots broke through the snow crust, they made some sort of echo. But then every step should have echoed, and not just this regular one in three. I was scared stiff. I got up and walked on, trying hard not to look behind me. The second man's experience was roughly similar. He was on McDewey and alone. He heard footsteps. He was climbing in daylight in summer, but so dense was the mist that he was working by compass. Visibility was almost as poor as it would have been at night. 
The footsteps he heard were made by something or someone, trudging up the fine screes which decorate the upper parts of the mountain, a thing not extraordinary in itself, though the steps were only a few yards behind him, but exceedingly odd when the mist suddenly cleared and he could see no living thing on the mountain. Did the steps follow yours exactly, I asked him. No, he said. That was the funny thing. They didn't. They were regular all right, but the queer thing was that they seemed to come once for every two and a half steps I took. Once I was out with a search party on McDewey, and on the way down after an unsuccessful day, I asked some of the gamekeepers and stalkers who were with us what they thought of it all. They worked on McDewey, so they should know. Had they seen Falas Moore? Did he exist? Or was it just a silly story? They looked at me for a few seconds, and then one said, We do not talk about that. Ooh, creepy stuff. One man has actually tried to shoot the grey being. In 1943, Alexander Tunian was alone hunting along the slopes of the mountain when he got a little more than he bargained for. Go vegan, folks. Go looking for animals to hunt and you never know, a big grey bloke might come at you. Alexander was keeping a watchful eye through the October fog when, without warning, a massive figure appeared before him. He reached for his revolver and unloaded the chamber into the being. A 1958 of the Scots magazine ran his account, which read... I am not unduly imaginative, but my thought flew instantly to the well-known story of Professor Collie and the Big Grey Man. Then I felt the reassuring weight of the loaded revolver in my pocket. Grasping the butt, I peered about in the mist here, rent and tattered by the eddies of wind. A strange shape loomed up, receded, came charging at me. Without hesitation, I whipped out the revolver and fired three times at the figure. When it still came on, I turned and haired down the path, reaching Glendaria in a time that I have never bettered. You may ask, was it really the fear Leith Moore? Frankly, I think it was. Another account in 1945 happened when Peter Densham was participating in rescue work in the Cairngorm Mountains during World War II. One day, he reported hearing strange noises, mist closing in on his location and increasing pressure around his neck. He fled before seeing anything concrete. A friend of his, climber Richard Frere, wrote about his sense of a presence, utterly abstract but intensely real on the mountain, and heard an intensely high singing note a few years later in 1948. Frere also reported the encounter of a friend who wished to remain anonymous. He reported waking up feeling an inescapable feeling of dread and looked out of his tent to see a large figure with dark hair standing in front of the moon in silhouette. Now, the sceptic's favourite argument, pics or it didn't happen. Sadly, very few photos have surfaced of this creature. I wouldn't mess about myself if a giant dude was lumbering towards me either, but maybe it's one for the TikTok generation. Definitely think someone out there would be up for getting accosted by an actual giant for the views. Photographer John Rennie took photos of alleged footprints from the being, which measure 19 inches. Mad difficult time at JD Sports getting some spats for whoever made those. These were debunked as a weather phenomenon in which rain caused snow to melt in this formation. Explanations of the Big Grey Man vary wildly, but some are super fun. Some say it may be some sort of guardian which patrols an interdimensional gateway, warding off people from getting in. Or something getting out. These bloody gateways, they're never in a convenient place, always up a mountain... Never in the B&M car park. Shout out to episode 3, as some also blame, drumroll, ley lines. 
interconnected lines fall near the summit, which has led some people to believe it's a spiritual presence knocking about up there. Perhaps the most pedestrian of the funner explanations is that it may simply be an undocumented creature similar to that of a Bigfoot or Yeti, an elusive creature that defies current classification. Would be pretty hilarious if it was just a really lanky Scotsman that got really lost after the pub one night though. More down-to-earth speculation centres upon the phenomenon known as the Brocken Spectre, an event where a spectator can see their own elongated shadow cast against clouds, mist or fog, sometimes accompanied by a rainbow-like halo known as a glory. Brocken Spectres explain some of the long-legged tall grey figures that have been sighted, but it doesn't say much for the weird disembodied footsteps and the strange emotions. Plus, it's boring. Don't be boring, it's obviously a massive grey chap. The poet James Hogg had an experience with this weird weather on Ben McDewey as far back as 1791, describing a giant blackamoor at least 30 feet high and equally proportioned and very near me. I was actually struck powerless with astonishment and terror. Hogg's terror subsided when he observed the figure making the same gestures as his own, realising that it was merely his own shadow when he removed his hat. Illusions, hallucinations, exhaustion and isolation have also been proposed by psychologists as rational explanations. Infrasound, which can be generated by wind, can cause feelings of uneasiness and anxiety and is possibly connected to paranormal sightings. Oxygen starvation could also play a role, especially when you combine it with the stuff we've already mentioned. The effects of being that high up and the ease of becoming a bit lost amongst the Cairngorm's featureless peaks could combine to produce anxiety and panic and potentially distort a person's rational thinking. This being said, however, I do find it interesting that a lot of reports come from people with lots of experience climbing, knowledge of the area, and with already rational mindsets. They probably didn't take it lightly to reveal that they saw a spooky long chap up the hill to all their scientific mates. So, as is the case with a lot of things we see on this pod, a definitive explanation eludes us. The location is spectacular in itself, so I may have to go for a jolly up there. I'll put some photos on the Instagram if you want to go check them out. I can report back if there's any mad grey giants or dimensional portals. If I make it back. I'd really love to hear if any locals of the area have any stories, so if you're around there, hit me up. That brings us to a close on episode 9. Thank you so much as always for joining me. I will miss you all greatly over the Christmas period, but we'll be back before you know it. Stay safe and have a lovely time. Be with friends and family. Watch Home Alone. Eat, drink and be merry. Don't do anything I wouldn't. Still gives you plenty of room, to be fair. If you fancy updates on the show, do follow at John Doe Co Pod on Insta and Twitter and TikTok if you're oh so cool. Rate, review and subscribe on your podcasting app. Now, please. I will wait. It's fine. Done. Good. Patreon is also a thing at patreon.com forward slash John Doe and Copod. It's mainly about supporting the show right now, but some cool bonuses coming soon as well as early access. Feel free to DM me any suggestions on what you'd like to see as always. A little teaser of next episode. We are going into the art world. The morbid and weird doesn't stop when you get to the land of paint and easels. A case I recently learned about which is super interesting and haven't heard much about for episode 10. Come and join me for the pained paintings of Richard Dad. Hope to see you there. 
See you next year. Thanks for being such good company.